I'm Tom Perumian, KTSA News. You know, you don't have to keep up with uh, the latest fashions or you don't have to be up on the latest music or movies. I mean, it's a choice. You know what you have to keep up with? You know what you have to stay current on? You have to stay current on assumptions. In order to talk about anything, in order to understand anything that's going on, you have to know what the current assumptions are, what the consensus is about among people about that subject or that thing. So let's talk about illegal immigration. 30, 40, 50 years ago, there was a common assumption, there was a consensus. I'm not going to say there were no differences of opinion, but there was a consensus. There was a mainstream idea. It was in both political parties. It was on the right and on the left that uh, you had to enforce the borders. You had to enforce immigration law. It was bad for people who live here and work here if you were letting people in who weren't supposed to be here they took they took your job they took your kids slot at school they took your potential bed at the hospital and all these things and so you could talk about illegal immigration or immigration with the assumption that everybody wanted to enforce the border wanted to enforce the law that's not true anymore I'm not saying I don't believe it. I'm telling you there are now mainstream schools of thought, mainly in one party, that say things like, we need all these people. We've got to let people into this country. We've got to have them. Or, well, they're coming from terrible situations. We ought to let them in. It would be cruel not to let them all in. And they need to vote. And they need to have driver's licenses. And their kids need to go to uh, in-state tuition colleges. Now, again, I'm not saying those things. But those are now ideas that are not like crazy ideas. You, they'll throw a net over you if you say that. 30, 40, 50 years ago, those were crazy ideas. The assumptions have changed. And that's, that's the way to understand what's happening with the border right now. Mostly Republicans are making sense and, and standing their ground and saying things that are factual and, and logical. Most of them are. There are exceptions. But more and more Democrats have gotten off the assumption that well, of course we enforce the border, and illegal immigration is illegal. And we're not going to use it or game it. It's We need to show that we can control it. 30, 40, 50 years ago, that was their position. So the governor signs a bill, Governor Greg Abbott signs a bill, that authorizes two things. Local police can arrest uh, and process people who they believe to be here illegally, and local judges can initiate deportation of people found to be here illegally. And I want to say I'm not, 
I, I want Greg Abbott to try anything and everything that is constitutional and legal. I'm not saying you shouldn't try it. What I am saying is the assumption has changed. There are two reasons this will not work. One is that not everybody wants it to work. And the other is that modern big city police departments are not operating under that assumption anymore. Here in Texas, which is a red state, our cities are blue. Our cities are big cities. San Antonio, Austin, Houston, Dallas, Fort Worth, El Paso. Our big cities are blue cities. They are mostly run by liberal Democrats. They are mostly run by uh, and, and policed by modern-day woke executives, administrators. These uh, police chiefs and these police commissions aren't going to do this, aren't, aren't on board with this. They don't want this job. So it's a, it would be a great policy if the old assumptions were in place, but the new assumptions mean this probably won't make any difference. By the way, before we even get to whether it would work, I assume that it will be frozen by a court order very quickly and then held in limbo while somebody decides or it gets appealed as to its constitutionality, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we're, we're going to fight over this before we really contest to see if it works. And then I don't think it will work because giving a police department the power to do something presumes they want the power to do it, presumes they want to enforce that or, or get into that space. And I don't think they do. What do you think? 210-599-5555. The assumptions have changed. The best book that came out this year, not even close, was a book by a guy named Peter Zihan called The End of the World is Just the Beginning. It's not a book about the end of the world. It's a very interesting, thought-provoking, at times even kind of humorous book about an era that is ending. The world is not ending. But the, the era that began with World War II is ending. Globalism is ending. The world order, which is a much maligned phrase, but just means the way things work in the world right now, is about to change. It's changing for a lot of reasons. It's changing because of immigration and migration. It's changing because of, um, you know, things like technology, things like the green energy push. And it's changing because the United States is pulling back from its role in the world. Now, you may like that, you may dislike that, but the United States is not the world's policeman anymore. And one of the things Peter Zihan writes about a lot in the book is that people did not realize, and they won't realize until it's gone, how important the United States Navy is to the way the world works. Everything in your life, can almost be traced back to the United States patrolling and protecting the sea lanes of the world. The fact that you can buy stuff from anywhere in the world, the fact that you can get fruits and vegetables and technology and cars and 
anything, clothes from any part of the world, any time of year. You don't go to the store now and they say, well, we don't have those this time of year. Because somewhere in the world, those are being grown and harvested all year round, and the stores have them. And that's, that's globalism. That's, that's global trade, and that's made possible by the United States Navy. The deal after World War II was the United States will not dominate the world. We will not keep the territories we conquered during the war, but we're going to enforce this world order we're going to handle the the sea lanes. We're going to keep the, the oceans open. You didn't even think about it because it was just there. You didn't have to think about it. Every once in a while you hear about piracy, and it sounds weird and kind of out of place. Like, what piracy? Is this a movie? But can you can you imagine how much piracy there would be if there was not a global superpower protecting and enforcing uh, access to and tr- the transit of the uh, sea lanes of the world. The reason I'm bringing this up is because this is all about to become apparent in a place called the Red Sea. With a Pentagon and a administration that now thinks the biggest threat to the country and to the world is right-wingers and fossil fuel, we are giving up this unwritten arrangement of being the head honcho of the sea lanes. So you may have seen a story today about how the Pentagon has launched something called Operation Prosperity Guardian. It's a terrible name, but it's also a terrible idea. And I'll break it down for you very simply. The The United States has announced that it's formed a coalition of about a dozen countries. I mean, there's more than that, but there's effectively about a dozen countries who will protect against piracy and terrorism in the Red Sea. You probably have heard the Houthi rebels have been shooting rockets and missiles and hitting tankers and container ships and stuff like that. Well, the... The announcement sounds like we're doing something, but we're doing it in such a weak, multinational way that it's probably going to be very ineffective. In other words, we're pretending that we're going to have all this help, but all this help is coming from tiny countries with tiny naval capabilities. There'll have to be multinational command, and everybody will have to sign off on everything, and That'll just take longer and water down any response. When, in fact, if we thought it was important, we would just do it. Israel, by the way, is not part of this coalition because they want to be able to respond to blockades or piracy themselves. They don't want to have to get checked down by 12 or 20 or 35 other countries. They know they wouldn't get that approval. But Biden thinks it's important for us to get everybody to sign on before we do anything. And so we're going to have this clunky, slow, unresponsive, more symbolic than real defense of the Red Sea. And and the terrorists and the pirates know it. You know who else knows it? China. China did not join this coalition. 
So think about not who's in it, but think about who stayed out of it. And you know everything you need to know about how ineffective it's going to be. It's, it, it's, it's literally the worst response you could have. The, I mean, you might think the worst response would be doing nothing. But I think this is actually worse because we're announcing a flurry of action that will be ineffective, slow, weak, and will encourage our enemies. It's a completely unnecessary coalition because as with most multinational things that we do, we're going to be the vast majority of it. But in order to not disrespect, say, Egypt, you'll have to have rotating Egyptian admirals in charge of it. And it's very interesting to see countries opting out. Australia opted out. India opted out. Denmark opted out. Turkey. A number of countries that have the capabilities and have ships in the region didn't join. Coming back to the Peter Zihan book, this is the kind of thing that nobody in the presidential campaigns is talking about. This is the kind of thing that none of the news networks are talking about. I may be the only guy you'll hear talk about this. But this is actually going to affect your life. This this will actually change things like stuff that you can buy and order and have access to. The price of things. This may affect your job. If your company or your job in any way deals with international shipping, with things that arrive via container ships. This is the thing that is changing in the world right now. This is an assumption that's changing. The assumption for your entire life and way before you were born was that the sea lanes are open, that goods and and supplies can leave Port A and arrive in Port B, and unless there's an act of nature, they'll get there. And that drives everything. That drives your activity, it drives the activity in other countries, it drives investment, it drives diplomacy, and we're letting it go. And we're letting it go, I think, because we don't actually know how valuable it is. And Peter Zihan writes about this in the book. He says when people won't, when people finally figure out what a profound change this is in their lives, it'll already be gone. But by all means, let's let's talk about you know, like who who we like and who we don't like, and rhinos, and you know, <laughs> I mean, you, you look at the stuff that that makes up the daily political discussion, and it's nothing. It's none of this, right? It's all like who where are you going to sit in the cafeteria at lunchtime kind of stuff. Uh, by the way, speaking of rhinos, uh, Donald Trump put out on Truth Social last night that. Chip Roy is a rhino, that somebody needs to primary Chip Roy. You ever think of Chip Roy as a rhino? I'm not making this up. This was on Truth Social like about 11 o'clock last night. Um, We're going to talk to him later in the show. We're going to talk about it uh, and all of this with you. Uh, Phone lines are open right now, 210-599-5555. You can get through. You can get on. We'll kick it around. You better watch out, you better not cry, better not pout, I'm telling you why, Santa Claus is coming to town. 
He's making a list, checking it twice. He's gonna find out who's naughty and nice. Santa Claus is coming. You ever think about um, if this was a new song, if this song came out like now? Imagine how triggering it would be. He sees you when you're sleeping. There'd be people that would need a safe space. There, there'd be, there'd be people that would want Santa on the, you know, he, Santa needs to be on the sex offender list. And then what about he's making a list? How dare he? Who's he to make a list? How judgy? See, we couldn't, we couldn't have this song. So thank goodness it came out in our grandparents' time because we couldn't, we couldn't have it now. We wouldn't be able to have it now. Uh, 210-599-5555. Roy is going to be on the show. Um, we've got a fantastic um, book by a San Antonio author. Uh, I'll tell you about him coming up. Um, and today's our uh, worst Christmas song of all time show in our 6 o'clock hour. Annual, once a year, only heard once a year because that's all we can handle. Uh, worst Christmas song show coming up after 6. The old uh, United States of America, the post-World War II United States of America, saw something that needed to be done and did it. Biden's America forms a coalition with a bunch of countries that don't like us, won't cooperate with us, egos have to be stroked, appearances have to be kept up, and so the the terrorists and the pirates in the Red Sea are not going to be stopped if we have to get 12 signatures or 22 countries to agree before we can hit a missile site or whatever it is. And this is, this is, this is what we're not talking about in this election. And it's going to change the way you and I live. And you're saying the red sea, Jack, really you're, you're starting your show with the, but I'm telling you, this is the kind of thing, it starts small, it starts far away, it's on the edges of your awareness, but then eventually we'll look back and we'll go, you know, when everything changed, that was the first indication or that was the first place or that was the early sign of it, right? The canary in the coal mine, right? 210-599-5555. And yeah, let's talk about Governor Abbott signing that law. I. I want him to try everything. I want him to pull every tool out of the toolbox. But I think the assumption he's making or the assumption behind this is that big city police departments want to enforce immigration law, and they don't. They don't. So either they won't or it'll be very, um, so we say, a very light touch. And it won't make much of a difference. That, that's just what I think. You could maybe you can change my mind. Maybe you have a different view of it. I know people want him to do more, and they want more action. They believe we many of us believe states have to act. Even the Democratic governor of Arizona has started putting her national guard on the border. That's a Democrat. So I'm not against doing it. I just don't. I wouldn't get my hopes up that it's going to make a difference. But we'll talk about that, and that's our question on today's. River City Oral Surgery JR poll will giving local police and judges arrest and deportation authority across uh, or rather over illegal immigration be effective? Do you think it'll be effective? I'm not saying are you for it. You could be for it, but do you think it'll be effective? 
210-599-5555. Truth Social last night, Donald J. Trump. Has any smart and energetic Republican in the great state of Texas decided to run in the primary against rhino Congressman Chip Roy? For the right person, he is very beatable. If interested, let me know. Chip Roy is a rhino, says Donald Trump. Now, we know why he's saying this. He's saying this because Chip Roy endorsed Ron DeSantis a while back. That's a fact. He's talked about it. He's, I think he's with him right now, as a matter of fact. He's going to be on our show in uh, about 45 minutes. Do you think he's a rhino? I mean, he's obviously not a rhino. Republican in name only. He is, he's obviously not a guy that goes soft, wilts under pressure. He's a very hard-headed conservative. He's combative. He's feisty. He aggravates the other side. They don't like him. He aggravates people in his own party. Why can't he give in? Why can't he get along? What was wrong with Kevin McCarthy? Why can't he, you know, that's his thing. He's feisty. Trump says he should be primaried. Do you know how bananas that is? Do you know how crazy that is? But this actually points up something about Trump that is a problem. And we're going to talk about that. I want to know what you think. 210-599-5555. Merry Christmas, San Jack Riccardi, you can jump into the show at 210-599-5555. Donald Trump's on Truth Social last night, and he starts asking people, please, will someone in Texas primary Chip Roy? Because Chip Roy's the problem. Chip Roy is standing in our way. Chip Roy's a, a rhino, says Donald Trump. Okay, Chip Roy endorsed Ron DeSantis. And we all know for Trump, supporting a rival, heck, even complimenting a rival, is, is a sin. It can't, it's a sin that can't be forgiven. There's no, there's no redemption in Trump world. If you, if you sin, you can't go to confession or make it up. It's one and done. Look, I, I, Donald Trump had a good presidency, in my opinion. I voted for him twice. Foreign affairs, the stuff we were just talking about, he, he gets it. Domestic economy, he gets it. Uh, jobs, offshoring, he gets it. Tax policy, he gets it. It's the right instincts about kitchen table issues. He, I think to this moment, 
has the best command of talking about and and, and just mentioning the things that that everyday people are concerned about. You know, most politicians need a focus group or a pollster to tell them what they should be talking about. Trump just knows. I'll, I'll give him that. And if he's nominated again, I would have no problem voting for him a third time. Not because he's a conservative, he's not. But he's effective on behalf of conservative things. No doubt about that. This thing with Chip Roy is his flaw. This is his narcissism. And it goes both ways. He winds up liking people for the wrong reason and disliking people for the wrong reason. He liked Fauci before he didn't like him. And we found out it was because Fauci complimented him. He likes Gavin Newsom. He's complimented Gavin Newsom, which is sort of contrary to everything that you would expect about Trump. But probably somewhere in their interactions, Gavin Newsom complimented him, or they had a nice moment, or I don't know. He instinctively hates people that don't lick his boots. And the problem with politics is it's not either or. You have rivals that are like-minded. You have competitors that are like-minded and you you can compete against them while there's an election but then you have to see them for the allies they are after the votes have been cast chip roy is an ally of donald trump chip roy will win battles for president trump if he gets back into office chip roy will be a vote he can count on a voice he can count on he's reliably and 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 not only reliably conservative he's combatively conservative and the fact that he endorsed DeSantis, DeSantis is, is behind Trump by 50 points. DeSantis is so far behind Trump that if it was a, if it was a road race, if it was a marathon, Trump would have to stop running, turn around, and look through binoculars to see DeSantis. That's how far behind Trump DeSantis is. He, he's not right behind him. He's 50 points behind him. He doesn't have to think about it. DeSantis is like an NFL team that's already been mathematically eliminated from the playoffs. And the problem with this is not only liking and disliking the wrong people and for the wrong reasons, but there isn't a loyalty culture with President Trump. It's a one-way street. So there are people that were loyal to him, and then when he didn't like them, he killed them. He gave them a nickname. He said they were the worst people ever. And some of these are pretty smart people, people that you would want on your team. But if if he's done with you, he's done with you. I mean, I get it. I get it. And I'm not, he's not going to change. He's not going to change because I'm saying this. But you, this is this is something that's baked into him. And it's it's... It's a flaw. It's a it's a problem. You know, again, I'm not I, I didn't say I wouldn't vote for him, and, and I know this is not a reason not to vote for him. But it's gonna be it's gonna be an expectation you have to manage. Not to mention the fact that the primary filing deadline has already passed, so 
going on True Social and asking if somebody would please primary Chip Roy when that's already past the deadline is it's just kind of lazy. What do you think? I mean, we have him on this show a lot. I, I I would venture to say he's probably the politician we've had on the most this year. And we don't do a lot of guests, and we don't do a lot of political interviews. We don't just don't have a lot of use for it. You've heard me kind of talk about that. I, I know other hosts like to do it and like to have them on, and that's, that's fine. Uh, most politicians, when you interview them or you have them on, they're just sort of reciting stuff that they are programmed to say, and it's kind of boring for them, and it's kind of boring for us, and we usually don't learn anything. And um, But Chip Roy sounds like a guy that is always girded for the battle, you know, ready to go. So I'm not surprised by this. I mean, I was a little little surprised. But it, it it's it kind of fits the you know fits the brand. Um, we'll see what he thinks about it. Want to know what you think about it? Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. The other day we were talking. I forget what day it was. We were talking about uh, Nikki Haley and the uh, premise that I, I don't even know if this is true, but reportedly Trump is considering her for either. A position on his team or perhaps even as his running mate and i don't know again i have no idea if that's actually true that could just be the media getting bored and stirring stuff up but there were people saying um either you know there were two points of view on that there were people who were like okay well uh, i don't like her but if if he likes her that's that's fine and then there were people who were saying uh, i'd have a real problem with that and I was asking those callers, would you actually not vote for him if he if he um, chose her or allied with her? And Tucker Carlson says that. During a recent podcast conversation, Tucker Carlson was asked point blank by the host, would he vote for Donald Trump if Trump chose Nikki Haley to be his running mate? I would not only not vote for that ticket, I would advocate against it as strongly as I could. The former Fox host responded, that's poison. Here's someone who's actively opposed to the interests of the country I grew up in, who endorsed the BLM riots, who is not left but is neoliberal. I would oppose the ticket. Uh, I I, I do kind of wonder about that rationale i i don't know that this is even going to happen and i'm not here to change your mind about it but um i'm trying to understand the argument that we need trump that's what people who support him will always say right we've got to have him we need him what about this one what if no no we got to have trump okay if we got to have him if that's your position then how can you just change that position based on what he does with Nikki Haley. And if you believe that he has this leadership skill and he's this strong, effective leader, why would Nikki Haley change any of that? In fact, given the size of the team that any president comes into office with, doesn't it stand to reason that on on Team Trump there would have to be some people with whom you disagreed or with whom you were not 100% comfortable. 
I mean, you don't go into the presidency with three or four guys. You, you have to make thousands of appointments, hundreds of top-level appointments. You've got to have dozens of people in numerous policy areas. Now, maybe running mate is one thing, but th- there's going to be all kinds of Republicans around Trump if he gets back in. And if you've decided he's your guy, I'm just saying, I, I don't think you should let Nikki Haley spoil that or put you off that. I, that just seems like a very, by that standard, you'll never be happy. You, you will, he will, if he does, if he doesn't make you unhappy with Nikki Haley, I promise you he'll make you unhappy with somebody else. It's just, it's not a realistic, uh, criterion you know oh well i'm i'm for him i'm gonna vote for him but whoa, whoa, wait, wait a minute if he has anything to do with nikki haley then forget it i don't get that i don't understand that caroling, caroling, now we go. Christmas bells are uh coming up after five congressman chip roy joins the show and i'm really excited to have uh this author on raul Hereta is uh a gentleman who grew up on the west side of San Antonio, uh, went to Holy Cross, kind of, you know, had a like a, a, a quintessential like San Antonio life, went into the Navy for the Vietnam War, uh, wound up, you know, sort of the way military careers often do, uh, wound up in a place he did not expect, which was the Swift Boat uh, Operation. And wrote a book about it that came out this year called Capturing Skunk Alpha. And it's, it's an incredible book about his life, about San Antonio, about the culture he grew up in, about that war. Um, and that war, we were just talking about this off the air, Don Cooper and I, that war is, we're losing those, those, uh, men of the Vietnam War era every day. They're getting up there. And that war is a war I, I, I think we may someday forget because there's kind of a common interest in forgetting it. You know, the historians aren't in love with it like they are with World War II. The politicians aren't in love with it because it reminds them of their own failures and foibles. And um, the, these guys have a story to tell, and they served with, with sincerity and devotion and patriotism. They believed their country told them we got to go there we got to do this and they believed it with the same fervor that like my dad believed when he went in in 1943 but they didn't have the experience that that greatest generation had not even close not there and not when they came home so we'll we'll talk to Roel Hereta about that and many things coming up after 5 uh let's see David is on the Jack Riccardi show on KTSA David welcome to the show good afternoon Hey, Jack, how, how you doing? First of all, I want to say thank you for all you do. I listen to you every day when I come home, uh, when I drive home, and sometimes I wish my commute was longer so I could listen to you more. Oh, but man, thank Chip you. Roy thing, uh, yeah, you're great, man. With the Chip Roy thing, I'm not, I don't understand the rationale behind him trying to back DeSantis because, like you said, he's so far behind. He has absolutely no way of getting the nomination, and we need to try to, you know, come together around trump our nominee who should be the nominee and will mm-hmm. be the nominee i believe mm-hmm. the and, and the republicans are always like that no matter what the democrats come together 
and they stay together. But the Republicans sometimes are just so fractured, and I think well, they do more damage. I think um, I, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't assume that they're not going to come together. I mean, I think Chip Roy will endorse Trump when Trump's the nominee. I think Ron DeSantis will endorse him when he's the nominee. I, I that that hasn't happened yet, though. It's only December. The coming well, together true. is next spring. The coming together is not is not now. Well, that's true. That's true. But, and I, I guess that's more relating to the, the people in Congress. And I think everybody will come around and support support Trump. Uh, and uh, no matter who who he um, chooses as a as a running mate, and I have no problem with Haley. She might bring more people in. Uh, some more independent-minded voters uh, that would not have voted for him otherwise. I don't have a problem with him choosing her as well, but uh, it just seems kind of odd that he would choose uh, DeSantis uh, rather than maybe her. Well, I'll ask him that. We're going to have him on in about 20 minutes, and, I, and I'll, I'll ask him because I'd like to know, too, You know what went into yeah. that thinking. Um, we have to remember, too, David, that Trump is at best a four-year proposition. So... There have to be other people that can do it. We have to. We, we can't believe that only one man can do it because it's going to take way more than four years to undo what's been done, right? Probably take a generation, to be honest with you. I, I think so. I think so. So yeah, it, 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 I, I think worse. the reason people look at at the other candidates is because they're looking long term. They're saying, "Well, it, it's going to take more than one president. It's going to take more than one person." But I will ask him that, David. And thank you for listening. And thank you for those yeah. kind words. I appreciate that. The company is called U.S. Steel, United States Steel Corporation, and it will continue to be called that, but it is now a Japanese company. The Nippon Steel Corporation announcing yesterday that it is acquiring United States Steel Corporation. It's a stock and debt deal. It's about a, I think I read it's about a 15 to 20 billion dollar thing, deal, package. And uh, they immediately announced that um, they would honor existing contracts and uh, union contracts and uh, what have you. Uh, the Japanese outbid an, an American competitor of U.S. Steel. Uh, based in Ohio, and also uh, outbid some other international uh, offers. Japan is a country with whom we have good commercial relations. Although it's an interesting history, I can't. I'm not. I'm not invoking the the history, but it just you think about like one of the reasons we got into a war with Japan was steel because we wouldn't sell them as much as they wanted or felt they needed for their purposes. And it was not only steel, it was oil and rubber and other things. They felt that uh, America and her allies were choking off Japan from international markets. And when they attacked the British uh, and Dutch Indies and uh, took Singapore and took the Philippines. Part of what they were doing was they were they were helping themselves to the natural resources that they felt illegitimately closed off from in the 1920s and 30s. And they were upset because they had been an ally previously, 
and they felt they were being slighted and it was, you know, discriminatory and racial and whatever. So, so it's just weird that now the owners of U.S. Steel would be a Japanese company. I'm not, again, I'm not, obviously it's a different time. It's a different, but, but, but it, does it make sense to you? Does, does steel not seem like something that should maybe be, um, viewed a little differently than other, maybe other commodities or other, products like you, you i think you could argue that we might not care as much where our peanut butter comes from or where our uh you know <laughs> random vaseline or something but like steel a country's access to and availability of steel not that it has to all be domestic but you have to be able to get it that that directly affects your readiness, your defense posture. Yeah, it's like a direct line to your foreign policy. So we'll see what happens. You know who's making sense about this? It's unbelievable to me. I find myself agreeing with this guy. Every time he comes out and says something is John Fetterman. Now, of course, being a United States senator from Pennsylvania, he had something to say about the U.S. Steel uh, announcement. Take a listen to this. Cut number one. I'm standing on the roof of my home right here in Braddock, Pennsylvania, right across the street from the Edgar Thompson plant. And I just have to say it's absolutely outrageous that they have sold themselves to a foreign nation and a company. Can't do that. Steel is always about security as well, too. And I am committed to doing anything I can do from using my platform or my position in order to block this. And I'm going to fight for the steel workers and their union way of life here as well, too. And we cannot ever allow them to be screwed over or left behind. This was interesting. Um, Wall Street Journal said over the weekend that among the Democrats who have lost faith in Joe Biden's chances next year is Barack Obama. Fearing a return of a Republican presidency with Donald Trump. Journal says Obama knows this is going to be a close race, feels the Democrats could very well lose. Worries that Trump would be dangerous for democracy. I find it just humorous that almost everyone who claims Trump is dangerous for democracy, is someone who is dangerous for democracy. I find it funny that you could, even with a straight face, worry about democracy when under both parties, democracy is suffering. Democracy is choking to death. Democracy is on life support. It's really funny to watch the political classes point to one guy who's actually outside their class and say he's doing it when they are the ones doing it. But anyway, um, do you think that they are... I, I was wondering, what would be the point of saying, if you're a Democrat, we're worried about Biden? I mean, you you could... You could be worried, but what would be the point of saying you're worried? That's what's interesting. 
it goes without saying that that Biden doesn't look like he's in great political shape. He doesn't look like he's in great shape, period. But I keep thinking, you know, kind of playing it with it in my head like, okay, are they talking about his vulnerability in this open way so that he will step down? Or, which is what I guess most people think, or, just try this on for size, are they talking about his vulnerabilities to fire up the base? Because if people aren't enthusiastic about him and they're not, and if people don't feel that his policies are effective and they don't, then maybe the the uh, only game in town is to get them scared. Well, you may not be crazy about him. He may not have done what you hoped he would do. But you don't want to lose him. So you need to you need to be scared and you need to vote early and often and I, this seems like a giant psyop to me. I don't know, I could be overthinking it. But it seems like a giant psyop where you get democratic and and voters who lean democratic to think we need to vote for this guy. It's our duty, it's imperative, not because of of affection and charisma but because because he's, you know, democracy is in danger. The kind of thing that might just work with a low information voter. There's no, there's no time left to change the perception of Biden. So you, the people that go and vote for Biden, they know what they're getting. But maybe that's what all this sort of pearl clutching and, you know schwitzing from the democrats and their and their media people is about you know just to sort of create a a panic uh almost like a, almost like a run on the banks you know like people may, people will run on the banks in a in a in a country that's got trouble everybody will try to get their money out of the bank it's it's irrational uh sometimes and it makes things worse but they they need to get people to run to the polls it's the most wonderful time of the Jack Riccardi, coming up after 6, it's our annual Worst Christmas Song of All Time show. Annual event. And right here we welcome to the KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker Line, Congressman Chip Roy, or as he may prefer us to call him now, he may prefer to be just called Rhino. I don't know. Let's find Rhino out Roy. right now. Do we, do you, which would you prefer, Rhino Roy or what? Well, you know, uh, I'll go with whatever uh, moniker you want to give me, but uh, oh, it's, wow. uh, it's it's all good. I'm great to be up in Iowa. I'm on the bus right now. We're meeting with so many folks up here. We're so excited, enthusiastic, and and uh, no, we're having a good time. I've got my son and my daughter up here, and uh, you know, nice. before Christmas, it's a good time of year. And I'm happy to be here. Well, thank you for making time for us to do this right now with us. Um, yeah. I had a caller right before the news ask me um, why did Chip Roy endorse. Ron DeSantis, when the polls have Ron DeSantis so far behind Donald Trump, shouldn't all Republicans be, you know, consolidating behind Trump? What is your answer to that? Oh, my answer is pretty simple on that. I mean, first of all, I endorsed him in the spring. Second of all, uh, polls are not something that are supposed to be pushed on to the electorate. They're supposed to uh, reflect the electorate. I'm sure that that caller 
was not all that thrilled about the polls in 2016. Suddenly, we're going to live and die by polls. That's not how it works. Yeah. We do yeah. not anoint people in this country. We do not coronate people in this country. We hold people accountable. We force them to uh, come out and talk to us. That's one of my frustrations with President Trump. Why won't he come do the debates? People say, it doesn't matter. He doesn't need to. It's a waste of time. Let him focus on the Democrats. No, he owes it to Republican voters to come out on the stage and explain exactly what he will do. Answer for why he empowered Anthony Fauci to shut down the biggest economy in the history of the world. Answer for the six to eight trillion dollars of debt that followed from that. Answer for why you think jailbreak and letting criminals on the street is a good policy. Answer for why we didn't get policies put in place when we had a Republican uh, Congress and didn't get the border secure, and now Joe Biden's able to use policies to exploit it. Those are all questions that we should be able to have that debate about. And so Ron DeSantis is delivered for America. He's a good man. I've known him for a decade. Look, I, Jack, you know this, all the listeners out there, I represent Texas 21, a lot of strong Trump supporters. I'm going to support Donald Trump if he's the Republican nominee. I'll support Nikki Haley, even though I don't think she's as good as either one of these candidates uh, as the Republican nominee. I'll support the Republican. Because Joe Biden is, you know, brain dead and destroying our country right now. But look, let's be very clear. Um, I support Ron DeSantis because I believe in him in the future. He can serve for eight years. He is delivered for Florida. And if anybody were being objective about it, they would they would recognize how strong of a candidate Ron DeSantis really is. I think um, because of the way uh, it's sort of, uh, you know, there's sort of a, black or white, you're with me or you're against me mindset from Donald Trump. I think people are forgetting that come the spring, uh, your party is going to fall in behind whoever that nominee is, right? I mean, do you have any doubt about that? I mean, isn't that what's going... That's what the the Democrats did with Biden, and that's what the Republicans are going to do with whoever the leader is this spring. I think that's mostly true. I think there is a subset of Republicans that you would put into the, you know, never Trump or camp. Um, I'm not sure whether you call them Republicans or not, but, you know, that are going to stay off, in the, you know, on the sideline. But for the vast majority of us, right, we want to get in behind a stronger, going to go beat Joe Biden. And look, you and I could sit down and rattle off the list of things we love about President Trump. What he, his team, Mark Morgan, Tom Homan, good buddies of mine, did to try to help secure the border uh, when it was, you know, running crazy in 2019. Uh, guys like Russ Vogt, who is the director of the Office of Management and Budget, one of my best friends who was, you know, fighting to try to make sure we were constraining spending within a tough environment. Yeah. Um, you know, trying to do the things that President Trump did in, in Israel. Uh, you know, making sure that we were, uh, you know, strong uh, in terms of the view overseas and, and, you know, getting the Abraham Accords. I can go down a laundry list of things just like you can. But there's a lot of questions, right? I rattled off some earlier. What about the bump stocks and guns? Is anybody out there? I mean, there's a lot of Second Amendment mm-hmm. enthusiasts who are listening to this show. Are you not concerned that the court just struck down a Trump-era policy that restricted your Second Amendment rights? Don't you think he should have to answer as to whether or not he will be better than that if he gets a second term? Look, again, I'm in Iowa. Here, these people are very informed, and and they've got to go to the caucus and vote. The polls don't decide this. They do. If, 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 If Donald Trump wins in Iowa, great. Well, then we'll move on, and we'll see what happens. But I think Ron DeSantis is in a good spot with a good machine on the ground. And you know what I'm proud of him for doing? Going to all 99 counties in Iowa, 170 events, shaking hands because he loves his country. He wore the uniform, and he's doing it for all the right reasons. And unfortunately, Donald Trump doesn't even show up to the debate stage, and I think that's a mistake. We're talking with Congressman Chip Roy on KTSA. Speaking of the border, um, how effective do you think 
the governor's uh, new initiative to empower local police uh, departments and judges to arrest and deport um, illegal uh, immigrants will be, given the fact that, as you know, Congressman, we may be a red state, but the, the cities of Texas are blue. Right. Uh, yeah. And modern police forces in these big cities are not amenable to this mission. They don't want this authority. Well, let me first say, um, I do want to give a big shout out to the Border Patrol agents who are on the line doing the best they can with the administration, not empowering them. They're not, you know, the leadership is not giving them the tools they need. They're not allowing them to do their job. I want to give a shout out to DPS, uh, Steve McGraw, and all the people that are running that, but mostly the line guys that are down there holding the line, doing the best they can to protect ranchers and support Border Patrol. Uh, Governor Abbott is doing a lot with the tools that he's had, and now he's got a little bit more. The legislature's given him some more. We've spent $12 billion of our own money. Can you think about that, what that would mean for schools and roads and, you know, enforcing our laws in Texas? Um, and we need to, Congress needs to step up. The Texas delegation needs to demand that Texas get paid back, that we, you know, uphold our job to secure the border. But to answer your question, uh, it will be hard for Governor Abbott to be too aggressive for me. Okay, let me just be clear. I will back him in however aggressive he wants to be in terms of dealing with traffic at the border, uh, arresting. Um, I'll have his back. Now, I'm 1-435th of one-half of one-third of the federal government, so I only got the clout that I got, and that's why I try to use the megaphone to shift public opinion and shift the opinion in Congress. But um, I will support him being as aggressive as he can be. I think that's within the law. I think the, co- the Constitution contemplates in a Republican form of government. Texas can sure as hell support and defend our own borders in the absence of the federal government doing its job. So I applaud it. I want him to do it. I want him to go even further. Um, and look, if you got to conscript Texans, go make sure we secure our communities. So be it. But we got to do it because the federal government is not. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I I agree with all of that. I, I but I think the assumption that local police will join in this or that their administration will support it is just not. It, it it's vary. clearly not there. It it will vary, right? I mean, you you know, DPS can do what they can do. You've got local sheriffs who are, I mean, I've talked to a bunch of sheriffs who are on board. Sheriff deputies are on board. Sheriffs tend to be uh, a little more uh, in our way of th- thinking than maybe your average cities. Uh, but there's a lot of line police officers, who, of course, want to help. But you're right. I mean, the people have got a stranglehold on cities. I mean, right there in San Antonio, right? I mean, so the DA and the, the leadership there in the city constrain uh, even just regular law enforcement, much less doing this. So, you know, it'll take some work with the, with the significant blue cities that we've got going on. But, look, the American people, Democrats are fed up, right? I mean, you've got like Eric Adams in New York who's saying, what in the world? You've got Democrat uh, leaders in, in Arizona that are, you know, the, you know, who are saying, hey, we've got to do something about this. So, you know, they get how bad it is. 300,000 apprehensions in November. I mean, all your listeners out there, Jack, 300,000. I mean, that's extraordinary. 10,000 a day. That is a number that we cannot sustain. They are overrun in Eagle Pass. They are over, overrun in Arizona. Um, and we've got to do something about it. Look, I've been trying. We've gotten close. We've shaken some things loose. We've passed the best border security bill that we've ever passed out of the House. With all due respect to President Trump, they failed in 2018. He was working with Paul Ryan. They failed. We did it. We got it done with a razor-thin majority. Now it's sitting in the Senate, and we got to use leverage to try to get it moved. But I don't know what we'll do when we use the power of the purse. I'm, I'm pushing every button and yep. pulling every lever I know how. But you got to get 218. We're working on need a president that will back us up. And importantly, we need a president who will give us a wave. We need strong majorities in the House and the Senate. And you know, look, Ron DeSantis, 
He won Florida by a million and a half votes. Again, listeners, let that sink in. He won Hispanic voters by 62%. Let that sink in. He won single female voters by 50%. Let that sink in. Because he took on the establishment. He took on the universities. He took on Disney. People saw leadership, and they're like, God bless it. I love that. And they followed it. Congressman, appreciate the time. Uh, enjoy your uh, your swing through Iowa, and appreciate your making time for us today. We'll talk to you soon. A very Merry Christmas, if we don't, to you and your uh, and your family. Merry Christmas to you, Jack, to all the listeners out there. We are blessed to live in the great state and great world. Remember that during this season in particular. We should be rejoicing and, and uh, really appreciate it. Amen to that. Congressman Chip Roy on the KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker Line. I uh, I couldn't wait to to have our next guest on the show because um, this is one of the best books I've read this year, and it is hard to describe because it's it's a book about a young man uh, and a war, but it's really not a book about the war. It's really a book about uh, about being young and about. Um, how you find yourself in places you never dreamed you'd be doing things you never imagined you would do. And, um, the, the men of the Vietnam era had a very unique experience. They followed in their, you know, fathers and grandfathers footsteps, uh, when their country needed them, but they had a totally different experience, both fighting the war. And of course, as we all know, when they came home from it, this book is called capturing skunk alpha, a barrio sailors journey in Vietnam. A son of the West Side joins us now on KTSA, Roel Heretta. Mr. Heretta, it's an honor to have you on, and thank you for, for joining us this afternoon. Uh, ahoy, Jack. Thank you for inviting me on your program. And a big, big thank you for selecting my book as one of your three for 23 books of the year. I'm honored. I, well, and I, I have to say it was, um, it, was not hard to, it was not hard to make that choice because um, from, as soon as I started reading this, and I started reading it almost as soon as I got it, um, I felt like I knew you, and, I, and I'm sure a lot of people are telling you this, but you have a knack for putting us in the room, in in the scene, in the moment. I, I, when you were on a date, when you were with your buddies, when you were getting into trouble, when you when you were going to school, um, when you were going through uh, training, and then and then deploying with the swift boats, you, I I can see all those things. I can see all those guys you describe. And uh, how did you get so good at this? Well, it, it wasn't easy. I wasn't destined to be a writer. Uh, it came by surprise to me. And uh, what I did was I took literary license, and I invoked that fact and gave voice to the characters in my book. I mm-hmm. wanted the reader to be there in my shoes mm-hmm. as I witnessed uh, my journey in Vietnam, and also, as you said, in my chapter called Body or Years, I talk about my upbringing in San Antonio, and so I wanted them to experience what I did in those years, and so that's how I gave them voice, and I used dialogue throughout the book wherever possible. I even used dialogue with incidents that took place during the course of my tour of duty on swift boats uh, with characters that you know it's it's nonfiction. that's a memoir and nonfiction is usually a dry read but i wanted to give those characters voice and that's what mm-hmm. i did i invoked dialogue during that time 
I think most people, if they ever heard the term swift boat, they probably remember it from the John Kerry presidential campaign, and it it, uh, got knocked around a little bit at that point. But for folks that don't know, this was a very unique weapon of war and a very unique experience uh, because this was not like, I mean, you were in the United States Navy, but this was not like serving on a major ocean-going vessel or task force. What were the swift boats? Uh, Swift boats were 50-foot craft. Uh, They were called patrol craft fast, commonly known as swift boats. 50-foot long, and we had armament. We had twin 50-caliber machine guns above a pilot house, and we had a single 50-caliber machine gun mounted on top of an 81-millimeter mortar on the fantail on the back end of the boat. And uh, amongst others, we had uh, small arm fire as well. And our duty was part of Operation Market Time, which is Task Force 115. It was the longest ongoing mission during the Vietnam War. It lasted for five years. And our mission was to stop the infiltration of resupply trawlers coming from North Vietnam and attempting to deliver uh, ammunition for their troops uh, operating in South Vietnam. And we accomplished it was a very specific patrolling. thing, right? I mean, a very specific to, you know, tool for a very specific mission in the war. A lot of what we used in Vietnam were things that were already in the U.S. arsenal, and some of them were not perfect or appropriate for that theater of operations, like you know, B-52s or something. But this was really meant for exactly what it was used for. Well, they needed a inshore, a close to shore vessel. And the destroyers obviously were too large to get close to shore. And then they used the Coast Guard cutters called WPVs uh, closer in. And then the final line of defense were these tiny little men of war, uh, swift boats. And we operated all the the way from the DMZ all the way uh, south to the Kamau Peninsula on the tip of South Vietnam and around the bend over into the area close to uh, Cambodia. We had six uh, coastal divisions uh, in Da Nang, Chulai, Queen Yon, Cameron Bay, Catlow, and Anthoy. And that was Task Force 115. Did you uh, keep a diary or what? You said you took some literary license, but what did you do at the time that allowed you to remember so many details so clearly? Well, it was the letters that I wrote home. My mother, when she found out that I was writing this book, uh, she pulled out um, two boxes of letters that I had written to them over time. I put them in chronological order, dating them from the beginning to when I left country. And the last number, I numbered it, was 79. And that happened to be my patrol boat number, PCF 79, that I served on. I said, oh, wow, this is is a sign. You know, read the signs. I'm onto something. And so that's what gave me... Uh, the ability, to, I read all the things I wrote to them, and uh, uh, then I merged it with a chronology of events happening in Vietnam as well as back home, because as you know, it was a very troubled time in the United States with the race riots and so on, and the war protesters. Uh, so it was uh, quite interesting, merged it together, and uh, that's how the story came along. I was able to accomplish that that way. Your your Swift Boat crew was a very small, tight-knit group and you you talk all through this story about bobby don carver boats what did he mean to you it's it's uh it hits home when you say his name 
Bob Don Carver was a man who was 11 years older than I was. I was 20. He was, um, I believe he was 31 years old, and I was 20. And he was more like a father figure to me. And he, he was a hardened up uh, job. Um, Bobby Don Carver was a true boatswain mate, tattoos on his arms, his wrists. And his chest, he had birds and anchors around his ankle, and uh, it's it, he was hardcore uh, Navy man, and he taught me the, the ropes. But he also was hard on me, um, uh, sometimes getting uh, under my skin at times. But uh, when we lost him on December the sixth, nineteen sixty-seven, off the Milai shoreline during a psychological warfare mission, that that just devastated me and the rest of our crew, and. And I brought that uh, memory back to the States, uh, and eventually, uh, because of the haunting episodes that I developed over time, is what drove me to uh, write the book. I, and I realized, and I had an epiphany uh, that told me he wants me to tell the story. He wants me to tell his story. He wants me to tell our swift boat story. Because like you said earlier, it's not just my story. It's the story of all the swift boat sailors that served on these little tiny men of war. And what we accomplished hasn't been recognized by uh, historians. And my goal is to fill that void yeah. that lacks the representation uh, of what the Navy accomplished during that period of time. Well, I'm, I'm serious when I say it. Uh, the, the, the book, and particularly, and I know it's a painful chapter, but... When you write about that day and and the loss his you know the loss of 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 boats, that is some of the best most vivid writing about war I, I've ever read. And I read a lot of these books, and I you uh, you hit it out of the park and and honored him, and I think honored you honored that generation. Um, we were talking earlier, Mister Heretta, about the fact that, and I'm glad you're doing well and and you sound great. But obviously, your generation is getting up there in years, and uh, there's fewer and fewer of the Vietnam veteran generation with us. Do you worry that we will that that this country will forget that war? Well, no, I'm I'm not worried about it. Uh, I hope that uh, perhaps my work here, uh, capturing Skunk Alpha, uh, will help the memory of those sailors stay alive. And 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 uh, it's it's uh, part of that quest that, that I I want uh, to leave uh, our swift boat legacy. Uh, our sailors, our brave sailors, deserve our part in history, and I think it'll live on. It'll live on uh, through works like mine. There's other books that have been written about swift boats as well, but I'm hoping this one in particular gets the uh, gets catches track and uh, and goes nationwide. And through your effort, I'm I'm really appreciative of that, and I think we we can get there with that. I'm in your corner for that, and I, I do recommend it. Uh, the book is Capturing Skunk Alpha, Raul Hereta. Uh, fantastic, terrific book. Um, highly recommended, and, and an honor to have you today. I wish you and your family a very Merry Christmas, and thank you for coming on with us. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Thank you, sir. A one and a two and a chick above my chick. Should never give a license. 
to a man who drives a sleigh and plays with elves. Grandma got run over by a reindeer walking home from our house Christmas Eve. There is so much wonderful Christmas and seasonal music, and it's our pleasure to bring little bits and pieces of it to you over the course of the month. This hour is not about that. This hour is about the, you know, the bad apple in the bushel. Those uh, those Christmas songs that got through the, the quality control net somehow. And we're going to count down to what will ultimately be the worst Christmas song of all time. And if you have not heard it, you may be thinking... That's hyperbole. That's exaggeration. How can there be one that's worse than all the others? But once you've heard it, you'll realize it's not only possible, but Jack, you found it. On our way, we're going to hear some of the runners up. These are songs that are sometimes just really bad and other times may have been may have been good to start, but went sour on us over time, maybe overplayed, overused, you know. Got stuck in your head, not in a good way. So let's get started with our countdown, and we'll start at number 10, the worst Christmas songs and of all time. And at number 10 is the youngest person ever to have a number one hit on Billboard's Top 100 chart. Go back to 1955 for that one. Barry Gordon was six years old. He went on to have quite a career in radio, television, movies. In fact, he was even the president of the Screen Actors Guild later on in his adult life. But uh, that is rough. I mean, you have to give it to him for being six. But nothing for Christmas, number 10. At number nine is another one of those... Novelty records that you hear this time of year, whether you want to or not, it's Spike Jones. didn't they? It's not a bad song when that King Cole or Patty Page sings it, but whoa. Wow. Mm, okay. So that's number nine. All I want for Christmas is my two front teeth. Number eight is not one of those uh, novelty songs at all. It's a very big hit. It's all over the radio at this time of year. And I think this one made the list mainly because people just either are tired of it 
or it is a little bit of an earworm song where once you, I'm warning you now, once you hear even a little of it, you're stuck with all of it. The party's on, the feeling's here, that only comes this time of year, simply having a wonderful Christmas time, simply Remember, in a few minutes, you're going to be wishing this was on a continuous loop. <laughs> you're going to be wishing you could hear this all night. But yeah, that's Paul McCartney, the beloved Paul McCartney, and Wonderful Christmas Time. Now, I'm going to say this. We've included it on our countdown over the years. I've kind of had a change of heart about this song this year. I actually kind of like it now. I think I get what Paul McCartney... I know, right? Weird, but... I, I kind of think I know what Paul McCartney was doing here. I think he actually meant to create a song that was kind of, you know, tongue-in-cheek. So, I uh, I don't hate it. I don't hate any of these songs, but you know what I mean. Some of them just... Like, here's one that, you know, again, a legendary performer. But I think he could have given us so much more. Neil Diamond... Not even bothering with an original song, just changing up one of his old chestnuts and roasting it over an open fire for Christmas. Take a listen to this. Wish you a very merry, cherry, cherry Christmas And a holly, holy holiday too Underneath your tree May there always be Sounds of harmony not a song sung okay, So it's a song made Just up entirely Mary, of Mary, Cherry, Neil Diamond's song titles. It's, you know. Okay, we'll let him get away with it because he's Neil Diamond, right? That's number seven, Cherry Cherry Christmas. And number six is one of those songs that was a moment in time. And why are we still hearing Band-Aid? And do they know it's Christmas? At Christmas time, it's fun, but when you're having fun, there's no world outside your window, and it's a world of dread and fear. Well, tonight, thank God, it's there instead of you. That's a nice sentiment, isn't it? Band-Aid, one of those 80s supergroups started by Bob Geldof. And it was to raise uh, money for anti-famine efforts in Ethiopia. By the way, Ethiopia checked in with us and they said, We're good. Please stop playing this song. We're, we don't want any more to eat. If you'll just... No more. Stop it. Don't play it for us. Don't blame us for this. Um... The song raised a lot of money, and it topped the charts multiple times around the holidays. But I think by now, you know, honestly, this is a meal best digested. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. 
Jack Frost nipping at your nose Yuletide carols being sung by choir And folks dressed up like Eskimos Everybody knows Jack Riccardi on 550 and 107.1 KTSA We're just gathered together here in the soft glow from the vending machines Enjoying some holiday songs before the madness of the holidays begins. What's that you're saying? Already begun? Oh, sorry. Um, we've been counting down. We're on our way to the number one all-time worst Christmas song. And I know if you have not heard it before, you may be thinking, oh, I bet I know what it is. I bet you don't know what it is. I'm, I'm sure you don't know what it is. You're probably better off not knowing what it is. But just as your parents had to break the bad news to you about the Tooth Fairy, I'm going to break the bad news to you about this song. But before we get there, let's take a look at what's happening to holiday music. It's changing right before our eyes, you know. Until just a few years ago, for example, this little classic was a staple. Everybody played it. All the Christmas Music Station playlists included Dean Martin and his ilk with Baby It's Cold Outside. But Baby It's Cold Outside. But Baby It's Cold Outside. Been hoping that you drop me. I'll hold your hands, they're just like ice. Beautiful in what's Listen to the fireplace roar. Beautiful, but please don't hurry. Put some See, this was one of those songs, kind of like um, I've Got My Love to Keep Me Warm. That's not really a Christmas song. It's more of a seasonal song. And you could start playing these even earlier than you could play the songs that actually reference Christmas. Everything was fine. Everything was just fine. Until just a few years ago, these songwriters, Lydia Liza and Josiah Lemansky, came along and they said, no, no, this is a date rape song. We need to change the lyrics. And so here's what they did to Baby It's Cold Outside. I really can't stay. Baby, I'm fine with that. I've got to go away. Baby, I'm cool with that. This evening has been, been hoping you get home so very nice. I'm glad you had a real good time. My mother will start to worry. Call her so she knows that you're coming. And father will be pacing the floor. Better get your car up. So really, I better scurry. Yeah, no rush. Should I use the front or back door? Which one are you pulling towards? The neighbors more? might think that you're a real nice girl. Say. What is this dream? I'm a granite LaCroix. I wish I knew how Maybe I'll help to you break out. this spell. I don't know what you're talking about. I to say no, no, no. You reserve sir. the right to say no. At least I'm gonna say that I try. You reserve the right to say no. I really oh boy. Stay. Well, you don't have to. Oh, it's, it's, a, it's a song and a legal document. But even that wasn't enough for this most politically correct year ever. Nope, not enough. So here it is, baby. It's cold outside. I really can't stay. 
Baby, it's cold outside. I've gotta go away. I can call you alright. This evening has been I'm so glad that so you Time spent with you is paradise. My mama will start to I'll worry. call the car and tell him to hurry. My daddy will be pacing the floor. Wait, what are you still living home So for? really I'd better stay. Your driver, his name is Murray. Maybe just a half a so who's keeping what score? Will my friends think? Oh, I think they should rejoice. If I have one more drink. It's your body and your choice. Oh, you really know how. Your eyes are like starlight now. Irving Berlin never had to rhyme anything with your body and your choice. He couldn't have made it today. I the thing about this version, I don't know if you notice it. He seems like he's in a hurry to get rid of her. I don't know. Is he is is Sports Center coming on or or what? I mean, good grief. At least act like you at least act like you would like her to stay, you know? That's the original has that kind of oh man, I really wish you would stay kind of flattery to it. But it's like he's pushing her out the door. She's down the hall and at the elevator before the song's over. But you better go. Yeah. You better go. Said no guy ever, right? Yeah. Oh, please. You better get going. Okay. So that's what's happening, right? I mean, there's no denying it. But these aren't the worst Christmas songs. Oh, no. We still have those to go. Including at number one, and it is a newsflash, the worst Christmas song of all time. The one that will make all of the others seem not so bad. We're sorry to interrupt this program, but a bulletin has just been handed me. You are just minutes away. You don't know it yet, but you are. From hearing the all-time worst Christmas song. I mean, the one that's going to make you think whatever you're thinking it is. Oh, this goes beyond that. Let's continue our countdown now. On our way to number one, we're at number five with a Georgia-based Christian rock group. They call themselves New Song. This is The Christmas Shoes. Sure, I want to buy you. For my mama, please It's Christmas Eve and these shoes are just her size Could you hurry soon? Daddy says there's not much time You see, she's been sick for quite a while And I know these shoes will make her smile And I want her to look beautiful 
I got to hand it to these guys. They do a lot of great work, and they've had a lot of success in the contemporary Christian music business. Um, it's just, it's a very, very sad song about a kid buying shoes for his dying mother. And I get where they're going with it. But, you know, in the real world, if he went up to the counter to buy these shoes, they'd ask him so many questions about joining their discount club and using coupons that mom would be gone by the time he got home with the shoes anyway. I'm just, I'm just saying that's, that's real life, folks. That's what happens. That's number five, the Christmas shoes. Here's a song that you can't believe even got recorded. At number four, the Mitch Miller Orchestra with vocalist Peggy King. Here's, oh, I can't even say the title. Listen to this. I'm gonna put some glue round the Christmas tree So Santa Claus will stick around all year I'll spread it on the floor, the windows and the See, that's way creepier than Baby It's Cold Outside. That guy's just trying to get his girlfriend to stay a little longer. This woman is going to imprison Santa Claus by gluing him to the floor. Somebody's been watching Misery, I think. All right, that's number four. So that means we have three more worse than that. And here's number three, John Denver. Please, Daddy, don't get drunk this Christmas. I don't want to see my mama cry. Please, Daddy, don't get drunk this Christmas. You know, on second thought, let's glue Santa Claus to the floor because, whoa, wow. Please, Daddy, don't get drunk this Christmas. All right, so that's John. Again, some of these beloved, you know, entertainers, but just what were they thinking? That gets us to number two, and we have a new song uh, this year at number two on our countdown. It's not new, but it's new to us, our producer, uh, found it. Uh, I, I I worry about sometimes what Don Cooper does in his spare time. That he found this song, but I guess he pulled it off his personal playlist. So I'm not even going to say the name or the name of the band. I think it'll become evident as soon as you hear it why it is number two. Mom made beans for dinner. No, I ate them all. Come get your coat on, go to the mall. You're gonna visit Santa and sit upon his knee. But all that I could think about was how not to cut the cheese. Waiting there for Santa, I thought that I'd explode. The gas bubble grew bigger with every ho, ho, ho. Tried my best to hide it, that I was doing swell. But when I sat down on Santa's lap, he hollered, What's that smell? None of that, no, because I farted on Santa's lap. I guess this is the real reason we had that story the other day about how kids are no longer going to the mall. They're having 
computer FaceTime with Santa. I guess this is the real reason why. It's all those flatulent children. By now you're thinking, Jack, the, 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 you're, you're scraping the bottom of the barrel. I mean, what could be worse than these? How could you do worse than the? Oh, we've done so much worse. Let me tell you something. These songs weren't even born. When the worst Christmas song of all time was recorded, I promise you, we're going to hear it. I mean, you might not like it. You might not be able to listen to it. But you're going to hear it. Coming up on KTSA. I mean, can you really be ready for? Is anyone really ever ready for? Our annual playing of the worst Christmas song of all time. And you may have been trying over the course of the last several minutes to guess. Is it going to be this one? Is it going to be that one? It, it, you don't know it. It's it's not... You, you haven't been hearing it on the Christmas music stations or the satellite channels. It's not in your Spotify playlist. Trust me when I tell you it's not. I, I can't even explain why I have it. But I keep it locked away, except for once a year, just so you can hear it in all of its rich and deep awfulness. The singer is Linda Bennett, who was a veteran of the 50s, 60s, 70s music scene, recorded with a lot of big names, worked with Ricky Nelson, and had some big-time record contracts in her day. The song she claims in interviews now doesn't remember actually recording it. I'm going to call her out on that because you couldn't possibly forget being a part of this turkey. There's no way you'd forget this. And um, just to set it up, it's a story song. So in the course of the song, a story is being told and a radio broadcast is being listened to. So the narrator is listening to... A Christmas radio broadcast, just so you understand everything that's going on. Here it is from 1975, An Old Fashioned Christmas on KTSA. This is your music, news, and weather station, bringing you the best in Christmas music on this beautiful Christmas Eve.
Sorry to interrupt this program, but a bulletin has just been handed me. There's been a serious accident involving the number five bus out of New Haven. The only information we have is that the bus skidded on a patch of ice and slammed into a tree. Stay tuned to this station for further details. Mommy, isn't that the bus? Daddy rides each night. Put your mind at ease. My children, everything's all right. Everyone, don't get excited. Things will be okay. Nothing bad is gonna happen on this Christmas day. It's gonna be a very merry Christmas with all the children by the Christmas. Ladies and gentlemen, I've just been handed the latest report involving bus number five out of New Haven, and from all indications, we're sorry to report that there were no survivors. Oh my God, this just can't happen. What am I to do? What have I got left in life to look forward to? Me down the aisle on my wedding day. Who is gonna buy me toys and take me out to play? Daddy, Daddy! Merry Christmas, everybody! No, it's late, and I missed my bus. Well, don't just stand there. Help me with these presents. It's gonna be. Screw those people on the bus. Too bad for them. We don't care about them. Man alive, I don't know. I always feel, I always have mixed feelings at this moment. Like, should we play it? Don't people have enough misery in their lives? But, but the point here is to say, if, if, you, if you've been really annoyed or aggravated by one of those songs that's just on the radio too much, just know that this could be that. What if this was in rotation all the time, right? It makes, uh, you know, I don't know, step into Christmas seem not so awful when you get right down to it. What have I got left in oh. life to look forward to? Not this song, I'll tell you that. Linda Bennett, an old-fashioned Christmas, back into the vault for another year.